So bread is the most basic and oldest of all human foods. It's eaten in various forms all over the world, and its meaning goes way beyond its ingredients and its form. You know, we all can think of poetry and analogy and songs and stuff that had to do with bread. In fact, the word companion, can you picture that in your mind? Companion? Uh, calm with panis. Companion actually means with bread. And so that kind of, you know, basic kind of fellowship of human beings around bread. And of course, you know, there's nothing like it. You know, you walk into somebody's house and they're baking bread in the kitchen. You know, there's, there's nothing like that smell. I mean, there's just something so very pleasing about that. And then, of course, for all of us who were in high school in the 70s, there was Bread the Band, right? Remember, I want to make it with you. That song that drove all the English teachers and our mothers crazy, Maybe I'm a Want You, you know, like, what is that? <laughs> and then, of course, uh, more recently, for all you younger people, there was Hunger Games, remember that? And that that kind of story about basic self-preservation and remember Katniss is given a bread that saves her and her family and at some point there's this line in the movie where she says, it's him. I don't want to lose that boy with the bread. And that gets us about uh, a bit closer to what's happening here in John 6 as we continue our, our study this ordinary time in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, John, I told you before, organizes his gospel in this way. There's seven miracles that he calls signs, and we've seen some of those already. There's seven discourses or conversations that Jesus has, like the one with Nicodemus. And then there's the seven I am statements. And these I am statements, all, they're a way of Jesus talking about how, who he is and what he's up to with his father, how that relates to us as human beings. And we'll see the rest of them, obviously, as we go through John in the next couple months. But this first one is to say something that's, you know, a bit obvious, that I am the basic sustenance for human life. And therefore, Jesus says, whoever aligns with me or whoever comes to me, that person will hunger no more ever. And so when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, it's meant to teach us something about what Jesus is meant to be to us. And it's, again, it's, it's fairly basic and obvious. He's meant to be the core staple of life. And so he's claiming here to be the genuine and only source of spiritual nourishment, the bread that actually satisfies and sustains life. And the contrast that he's doing with manna is that is it, um, manna was temporary and it was meant to satisfy or nourish them physically. And Jesus says, I'm the real bread. It, it doesn't come and go, but this is a kind of bread that's suitable for, I want you to catch this. Here's why I want you to catch it. I just think that even for us, most, of, most people in this room are pretty sincere Christians and trying to follow Jesus. And even for us, 
and how much more so for sort of everybody out there in our common lives. I just don't think we take Jesus serious. I think we don't know how to. He says these things, and they end up on a plaque in our kitchen. Can you picture, you know, a loaf of bread, and, you know, with the words, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, and that's about as far as we know how to go with it, or, you know. But he's actually saying something here. This actually means something. It's not merely mystical or something. It's actually an insight into how humanity and, and humanity in relationship to God is supposed to work. So this is bread that's suitable for and capable for meeting the awesome needs of human life in 2013. In Egypt and in Syria and in Africa and in Haiti and in the streets of Orange County, this remains suitable bread. This is not rhetoric. This is insight. It's wisdom. It's knowledge. You can rely on it. And that this bread is available to everyone. Everyone can reach it, and it can reach everyone. And so Jesus, as I said when we began this morning, he stands right in the middle of human history, and he says a new diet is available to human beings, a new way of living a new way of being is now actually an option. There had been no option like this before Jesus, but now there's this option for real bread. Well, when you see a modifi modifier for bread like real in front of it, what does that suggest? That there are false alternatives. And Jesus gets to that when he says, don't waste your time working for perishable food. So if you think of the readings this morning, Jody talked about Egypt. And it's like we stand between Egypt and this desire in us for things that aren't real bread and the passage from Revelation that Bill wrote, read, did you write that, Bill? Uh, read, that, um, that talks about this age to come in which people will no longer hunger ever and that God will be complete sustenance, wipe every tear, that is to say all the pains from lack of sustenance, whether that sickness or hunger or all the injustices that human beings go through, that'll all be gone. But for right now, we stand in the middle of that history. And what this, um, from, a, from the point of view of spiritual formation, what these passages ask us to think about this morning are the real things in us, the genuine things in us that really do hunger for Egypt or thirst for Egypt. We just have to admit that. That's called your wanter. And unless your wanter is genuinely and sincerely sort of front and center in your followership of Jesus, you're not there. Because human beings are fundamentally desiring beings. And unless the present structure of our desires is actually out there, not in a neurotic way, not in a guilt or shame-based way, but this just is just what's real, Lord. What's really real about me is that I crave a kind of intimacy or I crave a kind of security or whatever. Lord, this is what's real about me. And I understand that that's sort of like, you know, the Israelites wanting leeks and onions from Egypt. But I, like, I know in my head that, that this thing's coming in Revelation, but I stand here now and what do I do? And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And then if you wanna know what will really satisfy your desires for security, your desires for intimacy, your desires to be, to feel fully human. I am the real bread. So real bread, simply put, is this. It's life in the kingdom of God 
with Jesus as our master and leader. That's the real bread. The sustenance that Jesus says that he gives, if you ask, what is that? Like if, you know, if we were to say, well, what is bread? You know, I don't know what bread is, but I imagine it's flour and water and eggs. And I don't know, salt. I don't know what it is, but you know, if you, if you would ask Jesus, well, what is this bread that you're talking about? He would say, well, here's what it is. Here are the ingredients. It's life in God's rule and reign. It's taking your little queendom or your little kingdom and placing it in God's kingdom and there you will find life. So it's life in God's kingdom. With me as your master, we become his apprentices, or the, the biblical word is his disciples, students. We become his students then for life in the kingdom. This, Jesus says, is the real bread. And it's not an escape from life. I want you to get this. This is not talking about an escape from life. This is talking about a power, a capacity to do your actual life. Whatever your actual life is right now, this is not an escape from it. This is a capacity to actually do it. This is what this bread is that Jesus is talking about. It's a presence, it's a power of a new life. So like if we were trees and we had leaves on them, it's like these old leaves are meant to fall off as these new buds, can you picture that in your mind, a tree with new little buds, actually pushing the old leaves off and making space for a new kind of life. This is what Jesus is offering. So it's both an immediate and a developing transformation of our person. I mean, I remember when I was 19 and I got converted, there were some sins that just went away like literally immediately. Like I just knew they were wrong and I had the grace for them to go away. They were just gone. And now here I am 38 years later and I understand that this is an ongoing transformation and that some of these buds take a long time to actually come out and to be a full new leaf, but that's okay. But what we experience right away as we begin to take Jesus into our life is a new kind of power over the world and the flesh and the devil. And again, it's not completely immediate, it'll never be perfect, but we do begin to sense and know that. But here's the deal. Bread has to be eaten to have that effect. It is just not enough to say this is bread. This happens to be a round loaf with a cross on it, and it's got certain ingredients in it, but it's not enough to admire this. Or ever been at a nice restaurant when they bring bread to your table that it's so fresh that you can almost like sense the steam coming out of the little basket with the napkin over it and that bread just sits there on the table like calling out to you, right? Especially if you're on a low carb diet. It, it's like screams at you, right? but it doesn't do any good unless you actually consume it. So it's one thing for Jesus to stand in the middle of human history and to say, I am the bread of life. I am what actually sustains and makes beautiful human life, but it has to somehow be consumed. You have to take it and eat it and Jesus knowing that taking Jesus into one's life, participating with him, eating him, 
Knowing that this was a genuinely hard decision for many people, he goes on to say, don't waste your money striving for perishable food. Work for food that sticks with you, food that nourishes your lasting life. But we, kind of without thinking, it's like we have this default position in us where we're drawn to working for perishable food. I read of one doctor this morning who said that he believed after many decades in practice that more people died of loneliness, guilt, depression, and insecurity than by heart disease or stroke. That when you get right down to it, he thought that's what was killing people. So Jesus says, I've told you this explicitly, like how this works, because even though you've seen me in action, if you can find this in your gospel reading there, where it's about halfway in, where Jesus says, though you've seen what I'm doing, you don't really believe me. And can, I just wanna like posit this to you, just sort of try this on for size. See what you think about this. I have a suspicion that the vast majority of Americans who call themselves Christians, the vast majority maybe of people who live here around us in Orange County, they're stuck here. They will tell you they believe in Jesus. They don't actually believe him. And there's a mountain of difference. It's one thing to say I believe he was a historical person. It's even one thing to say I believe he died for me. And to say even I think the best evidence suggests that he rose from the dead. That is not the same as saying I believe you. I believe that you know what you're talking about when you say that you are the bread of life. And that when I work for perishable things, it's not good for me, it's not good for others, it's not really life in the kingdom. I'm settling for a pseudo kind of human existence. I'm not be really being human as God intended. See, it's another thing to believe that he actually is the bread of life that he really is that which would fully satisfy and make us fully alive. So then what does it mean to believe him? Well, it means to enter into a trusting, interactive relationship. To not just follow him for an arrangement for forgiveness. See how Jesus sits in most Protestants' eyes today? I don't know, Roman Catholics, I don't know. He sits in our minds as like a mechanism. I had this problem called sin. Let's call that sin goo. I need some goo gone. And so Jesus is that kind of arrangement. See, he's like, that's kind of mechanistic. He's this thing I put on my stuff. But that is so far removed from being teacher of actually a way of life. And Jesus is saying, no, really, if you can just learn to somehow interact with me, then in the same way that these guys followed me just because they, they followed me across the lake because they saw me feed them, I wasn't, see, to the people in our passage today, he was an arrangement for food in that mechanistic way. For us often today, he's an arrangement merely for forgiveness of sins, but that's not what Jesus was getting at. And this is why, you know, again, think of whether you want to think of Egypt, the Revelation passage, or if you want to think of food that, that uh, leads to an eternal kind of life, a different kind of life versus food that perishes. 
Jesus is getting at a similar thing in that famous passage in Matthew 6 on worry, where he, Jesus is really talking about there and listing when he talks about things like food and clothes and what we drink. These are the things that often produce working for things that spoil. And what Jesus is teaching us, and this is very crucial, and again, like if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I hope you'll hear this. Jesus' essential teaching in Matthew 6 when he says you can't serve God and mammon is this. That love for one will produce contempt for the other. You can't actually stand in the middle of that, he's saying. A true love of mammon will actually produce contempt for Jesus and his teachings because he will seem stupid, actually. If one is actually trusting the powers, as Paul talks about in his letters, the principalities of this world, and that's what mammon was, when one is trusting that God, it will actually produce contempt for the other. But Jesus says, those who place their full confidence in me, believing that I really am the bread of life, and they place their life in my kingdom and begin to follow me, then that begins to produce a contempt for us for these other things that they just don't seem very important at all. So Jesus goes on to say, and I'm reading here from the message, people who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things like food and clothes and all that stuff. But you know both God and how he works. So then, here's the alternative. Here's what it means to eat the bread of life. Steep your life in God reality, in God initiative, in God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find that all your everyday human concerns will be met. Jesus is saying the same thing when he says, seek ye first. The most important commandment in all of Judaism and in all of Christianity the most important commandment for Jews and Christians alike was this. And Christianity is really about this simple, to treasure God and his kingdom above all else. And then out of that new life that's derived from that, love your neighbor as yourself. That is what Jesus was saying. If you eat of this bread, this is what will happen. But here's the challenge. You know, there's so many other sort of Egyptian things calling out to us day in and day out. Unless we clearly see the superiority of Jesus over any other thing that may be valued, we will not actually eat the bread. We will actually find ourselves working for that which we really do value. Even if we know it perishes. And that's why Jesus puts this stark contrast before us. So just before we have a little moment of quiet here, let me read that to you again. Unless we clearly see the superiority of Jesus over any other thing that may be valued, we will not actually eat the bread. We will work for that which we really value. Even when we know in the back of our mind it perishes. I began by saying that Jesus stands in human history saying, I am the bread of life. But he doesn't just stand in human history saying that. He stands here this morning saying, I am the bread of life. Come, eat of me, and you will find food 
that does not perish. Amen.